Yes, hello there and welcome to Join Up Darts. This is an archive show, which means that I'm not here at the moment, but it's, it's all pre-recorded. But it does give you just a glimpse of what's been happening on the iTunes number one business entrepreneur show since we launched. Now, this show is different and you'll hear laughter, tears, shocking stories, real life turmoil, and of course, the kind of success blueprint that will change your life forever. If you want the dream life, then all the answers are here. Now, these are the old episodes, so to get right up to date listening to the latest stuff, then simply search Join Up Dots, click subscribe, and never miss an episode again. And of course, over at joinupdots.com, you can get instant access to our free 12-day podcasting course or loads of amazing free downloads to kickstart your own entrepreneurial journey, all made by my own fair hand. So let's get on with the show. You've got a lot of catching up to do after all. Enjoy. When we're young, we have an amazing positive outlook about how great life is going to be. But somewhere along the line, we forget to dream and end up settling. Join Up Dots features amazing people who refuse to give up and chose to go after their dreams. This is your blueprint for greatness. So here's your host, live from the back of his garden in the UK, David Ralph. Good morning to you all, my merry listeners. How are we all out there in internet land? Do you know, it's the 20th of July and it's 181 days till Christmas. So it's time to get your thinking caps on. I'll make a list. I'll make a list on the website so you can choose the perfect gift for me. And did you know also it was um, this day that Neil Armstrong walked on the moon? Quite interesting little fact there for you. But um, let's get today's guest on because he is... In his own way, he's got more of an amazing story than Neil Armstrong because he is somebody who had a tragic accident which ultimately could have been the best thing to happen to him. Known as Yo Powerhouse since hosting his first radio show at age 15, his greatest triumph came at age 20 after he was hit on by a drunk driver and found dead at the scene. Despite being clinically dead for six minutes, in a coma for six days, breaking 11 bones and being told he may never walk again, he defied the logic of doctors and the temptations to be a victim and he bounced back to prove that all of us, and I mean all of us, are capable of overcoming extraordinary adversity to create extraordinary results in our personal and professional lives. He's appeared on dozens of TV and radio shows and he's been featured in numerous books, which is not a surprise when you consider how his mental attitude has created something so amazing out of something that could have finished him off. So let's bring on to the show to start connecting up the dots of his life, the one and only Hal Elrod. How are you today, Hal? Fantastic, David. I'm excited. Let's have some fun. Well, we are going to have some fun, even though, yeah. I'll be honest, your your story is a bit tragic in certain places. When you, you, You've obviously heard that story many, many times because it is the thing that has made you who you are. But when you listen sure. to it and you hear, I was clinically dead for six minutes, doesn't that, does that still sort of send shivers up your spine? Uh, you know, it doesn't anymore. It's something that I've, I've, I've so, you know, many years ago, I mean, I, I've come to peace with it. In fact, I came to peace with it in the hospital uh, to the point where the doctors actually thought I was in denial because I was so happy. I was, I was uh, in fact, I'll, I'll just jump right into this kind of this one of my favorite anecdotes, favorite stories from that time. The doctors called my parents into the hospital, uh, into their into their office about a week after I came out of my coma. So, uh, as you mentioned, I, I had uh, my heart stopped beating. I was dead for six minutes, six days in a coma, came out of the coma to face 
really an unimaginable reality. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's almost like waking up from a nightmare and no matter how hard you rub your eyes and try to shake your head and shake it off, you know, you realize that the nightmare is your real life. I've got all these broken bones and they're saying I'll never walk again. And, uh, you know, it was obviously a very, very traumatic to, 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 to deal with that, even, even more so mentally and emotionally than physically in some ways. And within a matter of days, uh, I, I decided that, you know what, I can't change it. Just like so many things in life that we, you know, we can't change anything that's happened up until this point, right? There's most of our life, most of the things that we create negative emotional, you know, suffering and pain over are the things that we can't go back in time and change. They're the things that already happened, whether they happened five minutes ago, five days ago, or five years ago. Um, and so I decided since I can't change it, I'm going to accept my life as it is unconditionally, accept all the things I can't change, be grateful for everything I have, and I'm going to focus on creating progress every day toward getting my life back where I want it to be. And the doctors called my parents in uh, about a week after I came out of the coma, and they sat them down and they, they said very seriously, we're concerned with Hal. Uh, every time we, we're around Hal, he's always smiling and laughing and joking and making us laugh. And they said, that's, that's frankly, that's not normal for a 20-year-old young man that's been told he may never walk again. And they, they said, we believe this is so difficult for him to accept. His reality is so unimaginable, so difficult that he has just checked out mentally and he's in a state of delusion. They thought I was delusional. And uh, that was their only explanation for how I could be so joyful and smiling and joking all the time. So they, they, you know, they encouraged my parents to, to try to talk to me and, and get down to the bottom of how I was really feeling. You know, find out, you know, get him to admit the anger or the, the sadness or the, the, that he's afraid or that he's depressed. You know, get him to feel those things while he's here in, in the hospital in a safe environment so we can work through it. So my dad comes in that, that evening, and I'm watching television, laying in a hospital bed. Now, keep in mind, I mean, my leg was, had broken in half, so it's got a metal, I've got a 14-inch metal rod in my, in my leg holding my femur together at this time, and I still have it. My leg's up in a sling. I've got my arm, same thing, broken in half at the humerus bone. It, it's, it's got a metal rod in it. It's sewn together. So uh, my ear is almost completely torn off, so it's hanging on, sewn back on. My eye is, you know destroyed to the point where my eye socket was actually rebuilt in titanium. So it's literally two weeks after the night of the crash. So I'm in pretty bad shape sitting in my hospital bed. My dad comes in and he gets very, very somber. And I can, you know, I can tell something is, you know, he, his eyes are welling up, tears welling up, and he's trying to hold it together. And he says, Hal, um, you know, hey, hey I, I know that when you have friends here and, and visitors and family, I know you guys are joking and laughing and reminiscing but he said when when everybody's gone and it's just you by yourself and you know the lights are out and there's nothing to distract you how are you really feeling about this we haven't we haven't really talked about this are, are you are you sad are, are you angry you know are you scared um are you feeling down or depressed it's okay to feel these things it, it's you know it's normal i think it's important that you know, we talk about them though and that you know you kind of get them out and I really, I could, again, I could tell my dad was very emotionally distraught. And so I really thought, you know, I thought long and hard about his questions. And I really contemplated, am I sad? Am I angry? Am I, am I depressed? Am I scared? 
And, you know, I smiled at my dad and I said, dad, I thought you knew me better than that. And he was kind of taken aback, you know, and I said, dad, I live my life by the five minute rule. I learned this when I was, you know, I was one of the top sales reps when this accident happened for, for Cutco Cutlery. I was one of their top sales reps. I said, I learned this in my Cutco training, five minute rule. It's okay to be negative when things go wrong, but not for more than five minutes, right? Set the timer on your phone or look at the clock, bitch, moan, complain, scream, punch a wall, whatever you got to do. I said, you give yourself five minutes, and then as an intelligent human being, after your five minutes is up and you've gotten to release some of those feelings, you completely stop resisting the thing that you can no longer go back in time and change. You accept it unconditionally, and you focus all of your energy on reality, not the reality that you wish it would have been, the reality that you're dealing with and how you can make the best of it. And I said, Dad, it's been more than five minutes. It's been two weeks. I said, and, and there's only one of two outcomes. I, I told him, David, I said, either the doctors are right and I will never walk again and I'll be in a wheelchair the rest of my life. And I've already accepted if that's what happens, I will be the happiest person you've ever seen in a wheelchair because I, I, I don't know why I would choose anything else. I said, the other option though, and this is the second option that I'm putting all my energy into is that I will walk again. You know, the doctors might be experts in medicine, I said, but they're not experts in me. And I'm going to spend every, every day, I'm visualizing walking again. I'm, I'm maintaining faith. I'm praying about it. I'm believing in it. And I will do that until I am absolutely proven that it's impossible. And if that's the case, I'll be in a wheelchair and I'll accept it. And, you know, he went back to the doctors and, and you know, after he first grilled, you know, questioned me a little, are you, are you sure, Hal? Is this really how you feel? You're not just you know, delusional. And I said, dad, this is it. And here's the lesson, David, it was the opposite of what the doctors thought. And I think this is one of the most valuable lessons that, that a human being can adopt into their life. And that is the doctors thought I couldn't accept this difficult reality, this difficult tragedy. So therefore I, I couldn't be genuinely happy. It must've been a facade. And what they didn't realize is it was the exact opposite. I had fully unconditionally accepted my reality as it is. I put zero energy into wishing and wanting that it were different because I realized that when we put energy into wishing and wanting something were different that cannot be different, that's out of our control, that we create emotional pain for ourselves unnecessarily. It would make ourselves miserable. Right, and okay, so can, because can, I accepted it. Let, let me stop, stop you there because I, yeah, I, yeah, I wanted ahead. to jump in so many times, Hal, because there were so, <laughs> so many areas I was going, uh, uh, uh. Yeah, now, yeah. I think the thing about the doctors, though, is it wasn't that you were not normal, as in you weren't accepting it. It was more of a case of they hadn't seen it before, because no matter how you parcel it, your reaction, I don't think I would have had that reaction. I think I would have laid there moping and groaning, and I think the majority of people would as well. So was it something that was inherently in you? That if you went back to sort of mm. a two-year-old and a five-year-old and a ten-year-old, you was always somebody that could see things for the brighter side of life? Or was it something that when you were faced with that yes or no decision, you're either going to be in a wheelchair or you're going to do your damnedest not to be in a wheelchair, then that mm -hmm. strength of that courage, that commitment came out of you. So that's a great question. And there's a couple things I think that, that contributed to that mindset. Um, first was when I was eight years old, 
uh, I woke up one morning to my mother screaming across the hall in her bedroom. And I ran across the hall. It was just me, my mom, and my baby sister, Amory, who was just a year and a half old, uh, that were at home. And my dad was at work, and my, my sister was at my grandma's house. Uh, I ran in, and my mom was holding her 18-month-old her daughter, my, my sister, dead in her arms. And uh, she had had a heart failure and, and died. And my mother, uh, within a matter of, of, I mean, I think it was like six weeks, my mom founded a support group for other parents in our community that had lost children. And I, I really think that planted a seed for me to see how to respond to adversity, that when even when the most horrific tragedy occurs, that there's always an opportunity there. There's always an opportunity to serve other people and to add value and, and, and to contribute to others. And, and by in doing so, we heal ourselves, right? In doing so, when we get off self and on purpose, uh, it's able to, you know, we're able to cope better with, with our challenges. So I think that was the first thing is that I, I, I kind of learned, hey, when something goes horribly wrong, you ask yourself, how can I use this? How can I turn this into a positive? How can I help other people through my experience? And the second thing was when I started in sales, it, it goes back to what I already shared in the five-minute rule, right? Uh, you know, the five-minute rule was taught to me to deal with, you know, customers canceling appointments or canceling orders or kicking you out of their house or whatever because, you know, just being rude to you. That was obviously a very minor adversity compared to what I, I dealt with. But I had spent the last year and a half practicing that mindset of you know, not being upset for longer than five minutes. And I got to the point where I, and I even actually told my dad during that conversation, I said, dad, I've been really working on making the five minute rule, the five second rule, because as I've been practicing this now being upset for five minutes starts to feel uh, pointless. I'll, I'll get to minute three and I'll be like, ah, this is so gosh darn it. And I'm going, I'm looking at my clock going, okay, well, so I got two more minutes where I have to be upset. It just doesn't, I, like, I just, it just, it literally changed the way I thought about it. So I got to where I accepted everything I couldn't change uh, before it even happened. And then if it happened, I would, you know, I would say, gosh, darn it, whatever. And, you know, then I'd focus on, okay, can't change it. And those became the magic words. Can't change it. What can I focus on that's in my control that will move me forward in my life? And, and I think that was the, the, the things that contributed to that mindset. So, so when, when you was a young chap, Obviously, your, your life now, in many ways, you would go, it's a wow. You know, you're doing exciting things. You're on TV, you're on radio, you're doing podcasts. You've got so many aspects coming into you, which I'm sure before this tragic situation occurred, couldn't have been on your radar. But what, what was it that you was focused in on as a young man? What was your dream path? So uh, my dream as a young man, if you will, when I was, uh, it started when I was 15 years old, I started DJing high school dances. So as in playing the music, you know, and, and uh, being the disc jockey at high school dance, or I'm sorry, junior high dances. I was, I was a high school student and I started doing the junior high dances around town and I really found a passion for that. I loved making people have fun and have, you know, dance. I wasn't a musician. I had no talent there. So, you know, I could play the music, but uh, only, only through my, uh, my boom box there. But um what ended up happening was that dream. I thought, I want to be a radio disc jockey. That was my dream. And at 15, I got a, a phone call from the local radio station manager that had heard that I was a DJ, and he offered me a job on the radio. And that's where, you know, mom gave me the nickname Yo Pal Hal, and I started, uh, I, I hosted a weekly, a weekly radio show my sophomore year of high school every single week where, you know, I was on the air for three hours, gave concert tickets away, and uh, at 19, I had another gig on a radio station, and I was pursuing the dream uh, in my first year of college. And then that's when I got a, an offer to in a sales job. A friend of mine was in sales, 
Uh, I, I had no intention of it being anything more than a, just a summer job to make a little extra money to, to pay for my, you know, while I pursued my DJ dream. And um, 10 days into the job, I had broken the all-time company record for the most anyone had sold in their first 10 days, uh, in, 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 at least in the western half of the United States. I think there was one guy uh, that had, had, had done more, but um, it was a 50-year-old company, you know, it was a 50-year-old company. And that was where I was like, wow, the new dream was born. I, I want to be like uh, the greatest sales rep in the history of this company and then maybe the greatest manager and lead other people and inspire others to do what they do. And then that was the dream and then the accident happened and I kind of had this sense of, you know what, there's a bigger purpose behind why this happened and, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get through this as best I can so that I can figure out how to how to pay it forward and, and help other people with, with what I learn. I bet I know why you was good at sales. How? I, I used, to, <laughs> I used to be well. I used to be a sales manager up in the city of London, and the first thing okay. that I am getting from you is there's passion, and you you can't teach passion. Somebody's either got it or they haven't, and I believe that you would study those products inside out, and you would know them back and front, so that if anybody threw an obstacle in your way, you could overcome that. And I think the bottom line is, I bet you were selling a product that you believed in. Yeah, definitely believed in the product, and you're right. I always tell people that I, I didn't, you know, I didn't understand anything about sales mechanics. I had never read a book on selling. I didn't understand the sales process. Um, I was successful because of of two things: enthusiasm and work ethic, right? And you called it passion. So enthusiasm, passion, kind of kind of the same thing. Um, but yeah, I, I went in. This is how I talk. I just get excited. I get overly excited. I talk too fast, right? It just—it's natural. I don't even think about it. Uh, and I think that by the end of a sales presentation, the customer probably didn't hear uh, or didn't remember half of what I said. But they were just like, you know, wow, you're excited, and this seems pretty good. And okay, let's do it. You know, and uh, and I worked really hard. I did. I did. Uh, I worked 12 hours a day for the first 10 days uh, in in my sales career, and that's why I broke the record because I outworked everybody else. But that that is a, a, a learning curve for all our listeners out there. That the things that do inspire you, you know. I, I play Steve Jobs' speech every single show, mm -hmm. and the whole speech yeah. itself is probably about 16 or 17 minutes. I don't remember any of it other than even the bit that I play on a daily basis. If you asked me <laughs> to quote it, I couldn't. Yeah. But if you ask me to explain how it makes me feel, that's a different ball game. And it's, the, it's yeah. when you touch people and make them feel your passion and your enthusiasm that is when magic happens you did it in a sales environment you're now doing it in a wider environment but it is it is passion it's enthusiasm as you say it's work ethic and if you have got those things and if our listeners are out there and they feel that they've got something in them that they need to you know present to the world if you have those two elements before anything else you've got a head start haven't you yeah, and, and let me say, yeah, absolutely you do. And let me say this, you know, you mentioned that passion was something that you either have or you don't have. And I, 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 I want to slightly negate you on that. I think it is something that you can develop. And the reason I say that is I'm not passionate about something necessarily when I'm sitting there thinking about it. Some, sometimes I am, but usually the passion is generated when I talk about it. So whether I get on stage and, you know, um, as a keynote speaker, I'm, I'm giving a speech to the audience. It's like what comes out of my mouth that that didn't even end. A lot of times I say things that I've never said in my entire life when I'm in that moment. Mm. Right. When I'm when I'm connected with someone who I can share something with that will add value to their life. The passion is 
co-created in that moment by my audience and, and, and by me. And if I was sitting on my couch, the passion wouldn't exist in and of itself. It would be lying there dormant inside me, if that makes sense. Yeah, but does it have to so, be coming out all the time? It, that, that, that would be just strange, wouldn't it? it? It'd be like having a fountain that you can't turn off. Surely the power of a, you know, a fountain of positivity is the fact that when you need it, you turn it for maximum effect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing is, but I'm not sitting around all the time, just passionate 24 seven, I think that we have to take responsibility for generating the passion that we need. And how do you do that? Well, you whatever you have to do, you either, you know, write yourself an affirmation that reaffirms what you're passionate about, why you're passionate about it, what you're committed to doing to transfer that passion into action to create the results that you want in your life, right? So, you know, you've got to generate the passion. And, and I think that, that that's true for all of us. It's, if you don't feel passionate, you know, if someone tells me, I'm just not passionate, Hal, and I will go, well, who the hell's responsibility is it to generate the passion that you want? Mine? No, right? It's absolutely all, all of us have to take individual responsibility for generating uh, the energy that we need, the passion that we need, the motivation that we need to do the things that are necessary to, you know, to create the life that we really want. Well, when you did get hit by that drunk driver, was and I'm not being flippant here at all. This this is just me asking a, a, a sure. simple question. But was there any kind of out of body experience or, or whatever? Were were you aware, like some people say, that they were actually dead, or was it just blackness and you didn't know anything at all? Um, yeah, it, no, it absolutely. Uh, I did not see a light, or, or let me say this: I don't remember if I saw a light. I, I because. My brain, uh, I suffered the, one of the most common brain damage for a head-on collision. If you imagine, if you're doing 70 miles an hour on the freeway as I was doing, um, you know, full speed, the car that hit me was also doing 70 to 80 miles an hour. Not sure what that is in kilometers, but um, the, uh, we hit head-on. Well, what happens is the safety belt stopped my, it, it grabbed my chest, it stopped my body from moving forward. However, my brain was still traveling 70 miles an hour when my skull stopped moving. And the entire front of my skull was immediately crushed. And my, my memory is wiped out for about two weeks of my life. Uh, my last memory was about, uh, you know, I don't know, 10 to 30 minutes before the accident occurred. And my first memory is about two weeks after the accident occurred and there's no memory in between. So my parents asked the doctors, you know, hey, if, could he have seen a light? Would he know that? And they essentially said the odds of him remembering whatever he saw during that time are not very good because his brain was smashed moments before, you know, he went in, you know, in, in, into a coma mm. and before he died. That, that, in, in a way, that must be a great thing, isn't it, that you do lose that part. If, if you had that going through your head all the time, that, that must be t terrible. That must be nature's way of actually clearing the deck somewhat and allowing for your recovery to take place. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I would imagine that, um, you know, the, I, I always say that, thank God the body works the way that it does, and I was immediately in a coma, for example, right? I mean, I, I, I couldn't have imagined being awake, mm. you know, when the, I don't, I, I don't, yeah, I would have died of shock probably, you know, blood running down my face, my ear, my, I mean, I, yeah, I, just, I can't even imagine. So, you know, everything, uh, yeah, the, the, the body and the brain, you know, work in, uh, in, in miraculous fashion together. I'm going to play Steve Jobs in a moment because I think it's about the right time because okay. he talks about truth, uh, trusting yourself, faith and passion and all those kind of things. But just before we, we transition over to him and to the next part of your life, 
If you look mm-hmm. back on it now, would you say that really, as we call it in the sh- in the show, was your big dot? That was when your path moved in a direction that you couldn't possibly have perceived at the beginning? Or was there other things around that time that was actually leading you to a different life? Yeah, there's, you know, I always say that I've had two rock bottoms in my life, you know, which are a rock bottom is something we've all experienced where it's different for everybody. It doesn't compare to anybody else. It's how, for what, whatever experiences in your life have felt like you, you didn't know if you could get through them. You didn't know how to get through them. It was the worst it had ever been before. And that was really my first rock bottom that that led me to, you know, become a high school and a college speaker. Um, and then eight or nine years later, and we'll get into this after we listen to the Steve Jobs uh, message, but uh, I had my second rock bottom, which surprisingly was much worse than my first. And and people always say, how, how do you get worse than dying? That seems like that'd be kind of the the worst it could be, but uh, it was actually a lot harder for me to deal with after. And, and my life's work today is, is really a result of both of those rock bottoms and what I learned getting through them so quickly uh, that, that, that created you know who I am and the work that I do to this day. And, and my new book, obviously, The Miracle Morning, was born out of that second rock bottom. Well, let's listen to Steve, and then I'm going to be fascinated to ask you about this second rock bottom, because I would have said exactly the same. How can it be worse than dying? That, 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 <laughs> sure. That's got to be the ultimate. This is Steve Jobs. Of course, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college, but it was very, very clear looking backwards 10 years later. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. Because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path. And that will make all the difference. Because you seem to me how somebody that didn't just go off the well-worn path, you were like smashed off the well-worn path. Does those, do those words have resonance to you or is your life directly related to the incident? Uh, a- absolutely, those words resonate with me. And I think that for all of us, um, you know, it, it's kind of uh, to say what Steve said in another way, um, you know, they, they say hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Uh, I don't believe that we need to wait until the future to be able to look back with hindsight and be able to see the benefits of our adversity. I think that we can go through life with the understanding and the the level of awareness that every experience, uh, good or bad, is an asset to us if we choose to see it that way. And, you know, one of the most popular adages is, you know, uh, everything happens for a reason, right? We've yeah. all been told that and we've heard that and we usually hear it when we don't want to hear it. Like you're going through a really difficult time and, you know, a well-meaning friend or coworker puts their hand on your shoulder and says, don't worry, friend, everything happens for a reason. You'll see. And you're, you know, you're just thinking, shut up, leave me alone. I don't want to hear it. Right. Um, well, well, here's, this is, this is my, my take on that adage on, on the truth behind that. Cause whenever I speak, I always ask the audience, I say, Hey, Raise your hand if you believe that everything happens for a reason. And usually about half the hands go up, give or take. And then I always say, raise your hand if you don't believe that or you're, maybe you're not sure. You're not really sure if you buy into it. And the other half of the hands go up. So the, my take on this, I think, is one that we can all buy into. And it's the idea that everything does happen for a reason. However, it's not as most people think. See, everything happens for a reason, but 
it's our responsibility to choose the reasons. Most people think they're supposed to figure it out. Like it's some force outside of themselves that will tell them why this happened. And they go through life banging their head against the wall going, gosh, why didn't deserve this? Why did this happen? I'm a good person, you know, versus going, okay, it's my responsibility to choose the most empowering reasons for the adversity in my life. How can I use this experience to be stronger than I was before it occurred? How can I use this experience to teach other people how to be stronger than they were and get through their challenges, right? So every experience, again, it's an asset. It happens for a reason, but we get to choose the reasons. I could have been that victim and been like, oh, I don't deserve this and I'm never going to walk again and, you know, woe is me. Uh, but instead, I, you know, and I don't, I don't claim that I'm special. I just, you know, I just was able to choose that there's no point in feeling sorry for myself. There's no point in wishing it didn't happen to me or feeling bad about it happening. The only, the only thing that makes sense intelligently if I want to have a great life, which we all do, is I've got to look at how can I turn this adversity into an advantage, you know, and, and, and by putting all my energy into that, I was able to do exactly that, right? Whatever we focus on expands, and that was my focus. If you was episode one, I would have said you were special. And I would have said yeah. that, that mindset. But now you're episode 83, I've heard the same story over and over and over again. And it seems that every single person that comes on the show that has hit success has been driven by something bad happening and it might be the case that they were made redundant it might be the case as as in my case that I had a really terrible manager and I just couldn't bear working with her anymore it could be the case that you know there's been a death in the family or, or something and literally every single person will say at the time I thought it was the worst thing to happen but I look back on it now and go thank god for that and that's really a message that I want to get out to the listeners out there that if you are in a situation that is rubbish if you are in a in a relationship that is rubbish it is your responsibility to do something about it and until you take that responsibility as how was saying then you're just going to be trapped no one else is going to help you you will have to play the victim card and I don't want to be harsh on that but it is that sure. it is it's cut and dried. As soon as you mentally flick that switch to say, yes, I'm not putting up with this anymore, then y your life starts moving forward. And it's as simple as that. And then all the kind of passions and stuff that people talk about, you've got to find your passion and all that kind of stuff. It generally will start finding you. And then you will start to see a life that you couldn't have dreamt possible. Yeah, yeah I, I absolutely agree. And I think that uh, it's, you know, it, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, by the way, for anyone listening, you know, it, it, I mean, very, very few things in life are easy. Um, but, but when things are easy, we don't grow. You know what I mean? Like life to me is about becoming a better, consistently just always becoming better than who you were when you woke up. Right. I mean, that's my, you know, my new, my book, the miracle morning, that's what it's about. It's about dedicating time every day when you start the day to become a better version of who you were when the alarm clock went off so that you're more capable and more deserving of creating the, the life you really want every single day. And if you become that better version every morning, and that's the context and the mindset that you set for your day, it's, it's, you know, it's inevitable that you're going to create the life that you want. It's just simply a matter of time. Whereas most people, though, they don't do that, right? They, they hit the snooze button in the morning. They waste the morning. They wait to wake up until the last possible moment before they rush out the door 
Um, and, and therefore, they stay the same, and their life stays the same. You know, the, the premise, I, I said this, I was interviewed yesterday, and I, I said this in a, in a way where uh, the, uh, I was a video I was doing, and they go, wow, I really like that. And it was the idea that if you want to take your life to the next level, or your success to the next level, or your income to the next level, or your health, right, any area of your life, first, you have to take yourself to the next level, because it only happens in that order. And most people are trying to take every area of their life to the next level while remaining the same. So for me, it's about waking up every day and dedicating time to becoming, uh, again, a better version of who you were when you woke up, being more knowledgeable, more confident, developing your skills, developing your physical, mental, and emotional vitality, right, every day to really make sure that you win the day. Did, did you hear Jim Carrey last week, How? Jim Carrey did no. a speech in a university, and it was, it was like a Steve Jobs speech. And um, I, I heard it only because it, they said inspirational comment by Jim Carrey. And I thought, really? Because you don't kind of expect that from him. And uh, the whole sure. um, speech is about 26 minutes, and a lot of it was playing to laughs. That, that's what he's about. Yeah, sure. But there was this one bit in there that I've copied, and I'm going to play now. Because you listen to this, and this, when I heard it, I thought, wow, I've got to start playing this in the show, because it really, it, it sent shivers down me. So let me bring Fantastic. Jim Carrey on. My father could have been a great comedian, but he didn't believe that that was possible for him. And so he made a conservative choice. Instead, he got a safe job as an accountant. And when I was 12 years old, he was let go from that safe job, and our family had to do whatever we could to survive. I learned many great lessons from my father, not the least of which was that you can fail at what you don't want, so you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. How good is that, sir? Yeah, you're right. I did hear that clip the other day, and the same thing. I got chills. That's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's so true, and it's brilliant. It's beyond brilliant because, you know, with the greatest respect, I wouldn't expect him to say those kind of things but if you think about it what's he done he's somebody who you know didn't have a lot but he's now an a-list hollywood star and you're only going to get there by knockbacks stumbles falls successes and keep on moving forward aren't you as soon as you get to the point and go oh it's never going to happen then you're dead in the water and if you look at all these a-lister stars that we focus in on and we go that's how i would like to be like but you actually start yeah. breaking down their dots it is all the time that they believe that something is going to be better. And even when they're doing the rubbishy, you know, one-line walk-on parts, they feel, right, there might be a two-liner there, and there might be something else. Mm. Then they get their break. But it is, it's that mental attitude. It's exactly as you were saying. It's the enthusiasm and the, the working ethic to actually keep on pushing yourself forward and becoming a better version of yourself. Yeah, it, it's... You know, I think that it's every highly successful individual at one point in their life uh, starts to they, they take a chance on seeing themselves as better than they've ever been before. And uh, rather than I, in, in my book, I call it rearview mirror syndrome that most people suffer from. We suffer from rearview mirror syndrome, which is where we've got this rearview mirror in our subconscious mind where we consistently look at who we were and let that be, define who we are versus looking at who we could be and letting that define who we are. And so I think that what you're talking about is right, is these successful individuals is, you know, seeing themselves as what's possible for them, 
not not what their past has indicated because otherwise you're limited by your past and sadly that's how most people live their life you know they robin sharma uh one of my favorite authors he said that one of the saddest things in life is to get to the end and realize you could have been done and had so much more and that's the average person's life and uh, you know I, I don't think it's i don't even think it, you got to wait till you get to the end i think one of the saddest things in life is to wake up any day of the of your life and realize that you could be have and do so much more and then not do anything about it right yeah absolutely that's one of the saddest things that's that's the human existence you've got to decide that today is the most important day of your life today is the day where you define what do you really want for your life and maybe it's so far off you know i never thought i could be a best selling author i wasn't even a, or I, I couldn't even get a high school essay done on you know i was a horrible writer you know, I, I, being a motivational speaker was a dream, but there's no school for that. There's no class for that. These were things that were just dreams at one point, but it started by me writing the dream down and then and then getting on Google, right? That's the first step for everybody. Like, you know, uh, 20 years ago, you couldn't do this. Nowadays, you can Google, how do I blank? You know, how do you yeah. become a blank? And How to and is the most nothing. powerful words, isn't it? How to. That, yeah, everything you want to know how to do is on the internet for free for you. Um, you know, and, and that and that's exactly it. Is you've got to decide today is the day that you create the vision for your life, and that you you take your first step toward that vision. And every day, dedicate time, even thirty minutes a day, to chip away at your ideal future. Make one one step, one you know, move one inch closer every single day. And if you do that. The life of your dreams, as cliche as it may sound, it's inevitable. It's inevitable that you will get there. Incremental gains. I say that all the time. It's one step yeah. ahead, and then ultimately you will get somewhere. And most of the time, as I'm finding out now, it isn't what I expected at the beginning. When I quit my job, I wasn't expecting to be you know, an, an online radio host in any shape or form. It was something that occurred to me, and I ran with it, and it, it's taken off. But it's it's been work in progress all the time and now i'm getting you know i mean a hundred shows in and i'm just starting to feel that actually this is something that's you know i'm comfortable at all the other bits were yeah. you almost didn't want anyone to listen to them because <laughs> now you look back and you go yeah episode one was all right but god i could do so much better now because i'm in episode yeah. 110 and it's that highlights thing isn't it it's that, that ability that we all have to look at the end product of where people are and totally ignore the steps they've taken to get there yeah absolutely and i, I i'm the same thing i've got you know i have a podcast my podcast it's, it's called achieve your goals with hal elrod I never in a million years thought I would host a podcast. And now, you know, like you, we were talking before the show, you get people that tell you, you know, your podcast is changing my life. And you're like, really? My podcast? Like me talking is, you know, that's changing your life. Wow. I'm just, I'm like, I'm blown away by it. But no, you're right. It, 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 it unfolds often that like my dream was to be a radio DJ. And at 15, I, you know, I started my own business doing, you know, DJing on the, on, uh, on not the radio, but school dances. I was moving in that direction, playing music for people. Um, and, uh, I thought I'd be a world famous radio DJ when I was, you know, 30 years old. Uh, and of course I didn't know that I would have a car accident. I didn't know. So, I mean, life goes in different ways, but I think that, you know, it, it's about pursuing your, your grandest vision for your life is what, what attracts and, and creates opportunities for the vision to expand and become even grander. 
when I was 15, I wanted to be a radio host and people used to say to me, you should be on radio, you should be on telly or whatever. And yeah. I, I, I never, I, I sent one letter off and I got it back and said, and they said, no, there's, there's no opportunities there. And I, I didn't do anything more of it. And since I've been joining up the dots with everyone on a daily basis, I've started joining up my own dots and thinking back on certain things. And I remembered this letter and I thought to myself, how amazing that sort of 25 years down the line, I've actually created the radio station that I'm working at, which you couldn't have done. You could not have done that 20 years ago. You were going to be employed. But now you can stick a mic on and be heard in places like Korea. I've got listeners in Korea. Hello, Korea. I, I love you in Korea. <laughs> I can't imagine what they're getting from an English chap talking to people, you know, <laughs> but they're listening. Sure. And the French, French love me. <laughs> that, that, that is amazing. Yeah. I don't think the French That's actually that. like the English anyway, really. <laughs> I, I, I hope you do. So how You're success bridging the gap might create peace between your countries. I mean, wow, the possibilities are endless. <laughs> Absolutely. This could be world domination. Yeah, it could be a join yeah. up. It'll be in the planet. history books, David. I tell you, funny enough, though, if you look at my website, one of the things I've got is a globe at the top because yeah. my idea of join up dots wasn't just connecting people's lives based around these the words of Steve Jobs it was about seeing if I could connect the globe and when I started it my idea was that somebody in you know the Philippines or whatever might listen to this and hear something that somebody is doing in America and go I didn't know that was possible but I think I'd be good at it and you know this is my opportunity so it was like the connecting the world and I, I switched off from that because it was too big for me to consider. I, I couldn't imagine how me sitting here talking to people, recording it, putting it into the world, could start connecting. And I'm now seeing that take off. And it beggars belief. When you do get an email from someone and it says, you've changed my life, or you do get somebody come up to you and go, I was listening to that on the way to work, and now I've quit, and I've got another job, and I wouldn't have taken that action without you. There's a power to what we're doing, and a responsibility that you have to take control of, which is mind-blowing, isn't it? Yeah, no, it, it absolutely is, and it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting, right? They say with, right, with great power comes great responsibility, and uh, you know, I don't know if, if my I have great power, or, you know, if we would call it that, but but it absolutely is. Once you're impacting people's lives, um, I think there is. I think, but here's the thing. Actually, I'm, you know what? L let me let me let me take a different context here. Um, I I believe that we all have that responsibility, and that was one of the things that, like, when I was in the hospital, I had this this global sense of responsibility. No one told me. I just started to think I have a responsibility to overcome my challenges in as you know proactive as possible so that i can learn how to inspire and empower other people to do the same and i believe that you know whether you're just talking about your family uh your friends your children uh you know even if you don't host a podcast like david does and you're impacting you know infinite amount of people um i think we all have a responsibility to fulfill our potential because how we live our lives gives other people around us permission to do the same thing. And that can be very bad or it can be very good. Very bad if you complain all the time and you're settling for mediocrity and you're letting yourself get un overweight, out of shape. You're unconsciously giving permission to everyone that sees you, that knows you, 
to do the same thing, to settle for less than they really want, to accept mediocrity, to complain, to be lazy, to be physically unhealthy. But when you do the opposite, when you become one of the few people that actually won't settle for less than you really want and you deserve, when you talk about dreams and goals and you focus on the positive rather than complaining about the negative, when you do that, you give other, and when you, when you take care of your physical body and you, you, know, you, you focus on really standards that are high in every area of your life, you, you're doing a service to every person that you love. And if you don't do that, you're doing a disservice. So I think we all have that responsibility to every loved one, every person in our lives, whether it's, you know, we're trying to change the world or we're just trying to change, you know, one person's world. We owe it to, uh, to ourselves and everyone that knows us and that loves us, you know, to really live to our full potential. I love that. I do love that. And as you was talking, I was so infused, I started looking down to make notes and couldn't make any notes because I was just listening. But I, I noticed <laughs> second rock bottom. I need to ask you about the second rock bottom. So what was that? So nine years, uh, roughly, I guess, eight or nine years, about eight years after my car accident, 2008, um, I, uh, I had built my life back up, you know, significantly. I mean, I was physically healed. Um, I, uh, had gotten in the best shape of my life. I was, you know, I'd put on like 20 pounds of muscle. I was, I was single. Then I met the woman of my dreams. So I was no longer single, but, uh, we were living together. We had been together for, I, I don't know, probably six months at that time. And I was convinced she was the one, uh, which by the way, she's my wife now. So she was the one, uh, and, uh, but I had just bought my first house. I, so I just hit Hall of Fame with my company, which was this huge you know, accomplishment for me. I had just bought my first house, uh, bought my dream car. Uh, I, had I had transitioned out of my sales career, and I had launched my coaching business. So I was doing sales coaching, success coaching, life coaching, and you know, that, to this day, I've been doing that for you know, nine years. And uh, I had launched my speaking career, and my first book, Taking Life Head On, had hit number one uh, on Amazon in its category and number six on the entire website. On all of Amazon.com, out of 11 million books, it had hit number six on the bestseller list. And so life was great. I was on top of the world. And then the U.S. economy crashed. And it felt like almost overnight, I lost everything. Um, I, uh, my income was more than cut in half. Uh, I was living on credit cards. I had accumulated $50,000 in credit card debt over a six-month downward spiral in which I lost my house to the bank. Uh, I, I, got, I, I stopped exercising completely because I was in fear mode and scarcity mode. I was just like, I got to wake up and work all day. you know. And it wasn't very effective because I wasn't healthy. I, wasn't, I was just working and lost my income. And I got deeply, deeply depressed as a result of losing my house and not being able to pay the bills and so much fear and so much uncertainty. And six months of this downward spiral where I got, I got more and more, you know, thinking of suicide and, and, and just not wanting to live and, and hopeless. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And the reason I believe it was so much more difficult for me, at least emotionally, than my car accident was the car accident really was rock bottom. And it could only get better. Not to mention, I was surrounded by friends and family 24-7 by my side, doctors, nurses, people caring for me, taking care of me. Well, in 2008, people had their own problems. I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't being supported by my mom and my dad and people living around me and doctors and nurses feeding me and bathing me. I was on my own. And the hardest thing was it kept getting worse. I thought I was at rock bottom and then another client canceled. I thought I was at rock bottom, and then I found out I was losing my house. I thought I was at rock bottom, 
and another creditor called, right? It just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And six months of this downward spiral, and my, my girlfriend, again, now my wife, but girlfriend at the time, you know, one day she just goes, sweetheart, I, 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 I want to help you, but I don't know how. I don't know what to do. She said, Why, you have, you've got some friends that are very smart, you know, very business savvy. Why don't you reach out to them and, and, and get some help? Uh, because, David, let me, let me share an important detail of the story. I was a success coach. So if you could imagine how messed up this was for my identity, mm. like I was a success coach that was failing miserably on every level, physically, mentally, emotionally, and financially, I was at my lowest. And yet I was supposed to get on the phone and be energized and excited and, and, and you know, have clarity and, and help my clients. So I also, I didn't tell anyone because if you could imagine, you know, how do I, I reach out and go, hey, I'm failing miserably, therefore I need clients desperately. Do you know anyone that needs a success coach that's a freaking mess, right? It just didn't work. Join the So queue. I didn't tell anybody. Yeah, yeah. And so my wife says, uh, or a girlfriend says, um, why don't you call John? Hal, John loves you. He's not going to judge you. He, he's, you know, you could tell him. He's not going to tell anybody. So I finally get up the courage. I call John. I said, John, do you have like 10 minutes, man? I, I, I'm, I'm in bad shape. I need to talk to you. I got, I got to confess a lot. And he says, sure, I'm here for you. And I tell him everything. And then I'm, I said, John, I'm here. I got my computer open. I'm ready to take notes. You tell me what to do to turn my business around, to make money, and I will do it. And John responds in what really disappoints me at first. He says, Hal, are you exercising every day? And I go, what the hell does that have to do with anything that I just told you? Are you even listening to me? And he says, Hal, I'm dead serious. You're a smart guy, but if you're not exercising every day, if you're not getting the blood and oxygen to your brain so that you can think clearer, if you're not releasing the endorphins that exercise releases so you can feel better, so you can overall make better decisions and turn things around. He goes, if you're sitting in your office all day, just, just pounding the phone or whatever, you're not going to, you're going to get, you're stuck right now. You're stuck. And you've got to put yourself in a peak physical, mental, and emotional state every day to turn this thing around. He goes, so if I were you, I'd go for a run every morning and I would take your iPod with you and listen to a Jim Rohn audio, listen to some sort of self-help audio. And I said, first I said, I hate running, John, give me something else to do. And he goes, Hal, what do you hate worse running or your current life situation? And I said, all right, touche, screw you, I'll go for a run, okay. The next morning, I lace up my shoes, I go for a run, and, and I'll tell you, Andy, it was begrudgingly, uh, Andy, David, sorry, it was begrudgingly, I was going out the front door going, this is so stupid, I hate running, I need money, not running, what am I doing? And two minutes into the run, I, into the run, I hear a quote from Jim Rohn that changes my life forever. And here's the quote, and by the way, the funny part is, I had heard this quote before, and it never changed my life before. Sometimes we've got to hear something, even if we've heard it a dozen times, when we're open to it, we're ready for it, right? Tony Robbins says that you know, our moments of, of greatness come in, in the moment of, you know, either it's either inspiration or desperation, right, that leads to transformation. I was desperate. And Jim Rohn says this. I'll never forget it. I, I say it almost every day. It's in my affirmations. Your level of success will never exceed your level of personal development. And I'll say that again because here's how I took it. I want level 10 success in every area of my life. We all do. On a scale of 1 to 10, we all want level 10. 
But I realized I'm not developing myself into be a level 10 person each and every day to achieve that level of success. I'm a level two person right now. My level of personal development is at like a two. And there's the disconnect. I want level 10, but I'm a level two person trying to get to level 10. That's why I'm living at a level two because I'm a level two. And when I say your level of personal development, let me, let me expand on that and, and kind of define it because it's kind of a vague term. Your level of personal development and, and mine too, it, it represents who we are as a person deeper than our circumstances. So our level of personal development is our knowledge. It's a combination of things. It's our knowledge. It's our beliefs. It's our uh, confidence. It's our skills, right? So <clears throat> all of that represents our, and my confidence was low. My, my beliefs were, were, you know, were a mess. My, my, you know, my knowledge, I wasn't really learning or growing at that time. I was, again, I was just in, in scarcity mode, just trying to work, 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 work. I wasn't taking time to sharpen the saw. And I realized in that moment, I've got to dedicate time every day to my personal development. And if I want an extraordinary transformation of my life, if I want to get to level 10 as fast as possible, I've got to create the most extraordinary personal development routine known to man. So I run home and I, and I don't really know what this is going to look like. So I have to Google best personal development practices. I come up with a list of six. I'm reading articles from Forbes and Entrepreneur and Huffington Post. And I come up with a list of six personal development practices. And I write them down and I look at my schedule and I go, when in the hell am I going to fit this in? And, I, you know, and it hits me. I go, I got to wake up early. I got to wake up an hour earlier than I normally do, even though I wasn't a morning person. I thought I got to really get serious. I got to start my day by becoming this, this, this version of myself that I've never been by doing these six practices. The next morning when I woke up, David, it felt like Christmas morning. I don't know if you celebrated Christmas as a kid growing up, you know, or think of like, uh, you know, you're a vacation you're going on where you got to wake up early for your vacation or your birthday, right? It was for the first time in six months, I didn't hit the snooze button. I didn't wake up feeling depressed, dreading my life that day. I woke up energized and excited. I went into the living room. I did my morning routine. Now, it wasn't called the Miracle Morning at that point. It didn't have a name. It was just personal development at 5 a.m. But within one hour's time, by doing six practices, 10 minutes each at 6 a.m., I, even though my life was still a mess, my bank account was still negative, my credit cards were 50 grand in debt, I was still losing my house, internally, I felt at a level 10. I felt I had never felt so motivated and inspired and had so much clarity and felt so optimistic. And I thought in that moment, this could be the one thing that changes everything. And then to wrap up the story, I'll fast forward two months and tell you the results. Two months later, doing this routine, nothing else changed in my life, but I did what, what is now the miracle morning every morning for two, for two months, seven days a week. And I doubled my income. I, my depression didn't even take two months to go away. That was gone. It, start, it was almost gone within 24 hours. And I went from being in the worst shape of my life physically where I hadn't exercised a single time for six months to training for a 52-mile ultra marathon that I completed you know, five months later. And that's why I started calling it the miracle morning. And, and that's where I felt that sense of responsibility that I've got to share this with other people. And I started small with my clients. And, you know, now there's tens of thousands of people around the world that, that swear by the miracle morning is the thing that's changing their life. 
I'm not surprised at all. And I'm not surprised how, but you've gone on to become such a success because it comes out of you. I've, I've heard so many of these conversations, but I haven't once become cynical on them. I, I sit here enthralled. And certainly the, the enthusiasm that you show over a Skype call, I can't even see you. <laughs> God forbid what it must be like when I'm in a room with you at the same time. It, it, it's, <laughs> it, it's like you're going to spontaneously combust, I reckon. You'd say, Hal, stop talking already. I, I need a break. That's what you'd say. <laughs> no, of course, of course I wouldn't. And there's one last thing that we want you to talk. We want you to have a chat with your younger self. And this is the end of the show. And this is when we send you back in time to have a one-on-one. And if you did go back into a room and you met the younger Hal, what age would you choose? Would it be a five-year-old? Would it be the chap just before the, the, the tragic situation that you found yourself in at the age of 20? So I'm going to play the music. And when it fades out, I'm not going to say anything at all because you're on and this is the sermon on the mic here we go with the best bit of the show the sermon on the mic the sermon on the mic If I were to meet my younger self, I think I would choose uh, me as a freshman in high school. And the advice that I would give to myself is that how in order to become, or I'm sorry, in order to create the life of your dreams, the life that you really want, in order to fulfill your potential, you've got to start working on yourself every day. You've got, when you go home from school or wake up before you even go to school and, and start reading books, not on, on science and mathematics, you know, yeah, do those books, get, you know, get good grades, but more importantly, read books on, written by highly successful people on what you need to do and how you need to think and, and the mindset and the actions that you need to take to create the life that everyone wants that so few people, such a small percentage of the people in the world ever get to live. Become the person that you need to be through daily self-study to create the life that you really want. And I would tell myself that because I believe that that's the key. If you want to take your life to the next level, you've got to dedicate time every day and ideally do it first thing in the morning so you set your mindset and the context for the rest of your day. Dedicate time each day to becoming the person that you need to be to create everything that you want for your life faster than you ever thought possible. How can people connect with you? Uh, yeah, there's a few ways. My, my name.com, Hal Elrod, H-A-L-E-L-R-O-D.com is the way that you can actually you know, reach out, you know, get info on me or, or send me a message. Um, but I invite everybody to come uh, join the Miracle Morning community on Facebook. And it, it has become, like I said, the, the most inspired online support, you know, supportive, encouraging communities I've ever seen. <clears throat> and then last but not least, if anybody is listening right now and you're interested in the Miracle Morning, um, of course, you know, you can buy the book on Amazon. But let's say you're in a tough financial position, right? I've been there before. If you're like, Hal, I'd love to buy the book on Amazon, but I like I just don't have an extra fourteen bucks right now. Like we're really going through some tough times. I, I get it. I've been there. Um, you can all anyone can go to miraclemorning.com and you can get started for free. Um, you'll get the first few chapters of the book for free. You'll get a seventeen minute uh, video training on the miracle morning. Uh, you know from me 
And you'll also get a 60-minute in-depth training audio on the Miracle Morning. And that way you can get started right away. You can, you know, tonight before you go to bed, you can plan out your first Miracle Morning for tomorrow morning. And, uh, and again, that's just go to MiracleMorning.com and, and get the free resources and, and go from there. How it's been an absolute delight having you on the show today. Thank you so much for spending time with us today, joining up those dots. Please come back again when you have more dots to join up, because that's the beauty of this show. Our histories keep on moving forward, so you've always got dots to follow. And I really do believe that by joining up those dots and connecting our pasts, it's the best way to build our futures. Hal Elrod, thank you so much. Thanks, David, and thank you everybody for listening. I really appreciate it. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once to become. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Join Up Dots, brought to you exclusively by podcastersmastery.com. The only resource that shows you how to create a show, build an income, and still have time for the life that you love. Check out podcastersmastery.com now. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once to become. So he's put together an amazing guide for you called the eight pieces of advice that every successful entrepreneur practices, including the two that changed his life. Head over to joinupdots.com to download this amazing guide for free, and we'll see you tomorrow on Join Up Dots.